0: Hey everybody, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. and Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. Today we've got a couple of episodes coming your way. We're going to have episode 10, part 1, and we're going to break it up into a part 2 as well, like I tend to typically do. I think, you know, as I usually run through my notes, I realize that I talk a lot more than I think I probably will, and uh, it's just this habit I have of just running my mouth incessantly, so you get to be on the receiving end of that, so you're welcome. But anyway, so I've broken this into two sections, but I'm teaming two things together that I think are really important. So swarm season in and of itself is one subject and and managing and dealing with all the aspects of that, but also expanding colonies, how you do it, when you do it. This is really important too. And so, like I said, I want to join these together. There's some continuity there. And and hopefully that makes sense. Now I know we've discussed swarming in the past and, and talked about some things around queen cells and what they look like and, how to identify them, and things like that. But I really want to discuss more around you know, what you're going to expect to see, how you're going to manage and mitigate things, and what some of your options are. I'll break it down into, again, different options for different types of apiaries and what's right for you. Everything really comes down to what makes sense for you, and, and we'll run through some of these ideas and, and thoughts. Here in southeast Virginia, we, uh, we tend to start seeing a lot of activity, usually in that mid-March time frame. You know, the bees are coming back, the pollen sacks are loaded up with pollen. And, you know, when that pollen and that nectar are coming in, that's going to be the stimulant that's going to get that queen laying eggs. And she is going to be cranking them out. I mean, we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood, depending on who you talk to and what study you look at, probably in that 1,500 to 2,000 eggs a day. So she is going to be going gangbusters, but she has to do this, right? If she doesn't produce a massive amount of new workers in a really short period of time then she's not going to be able to get enough nectar which can you know they store and turn into honey and helps them get through the next winter. You know this discussion comes up periodically with other beekeepers like well when do the bees really start getting ready for winter? You know a lot of people think it's kind of like we are as people. Okay, well it's August, September, I guess we better get ready for the winter. No, they're they're prepping for the winter in March, April, May, because what they're gathering now is what they're going to be eating over the uh, over the winter when it's too cold to go outside. So, what is swarming? And and again, I know we've mentioned it before, but I want to kind of keep you know a little bit of a definition here in case somebody's joined late or hasn't watched any or listened to any previous episodes. Swarming is Mother Nature's way of reproducing and creating new colonies of bees. Inside the hive the i'm still amazed and baffled at how intelligent that a colony of honeybees is and how they manage to figure everything out and how the queen pheromone and the signals and the communication and everything that takes place inside the colony i'm just i'm absolutely amazed by it when the bees are working inside that colony and let's just say for an example that you have a you know a new colony this year let's just whether it's a nuke that was five frames dropped into a 10-frame deep, or whether it was a package of bees that is in a 10-frame deep, that the how you handle things, how you mitigate and, and deal with swarms, that the process is going to be the same. But as the colony and the population within the colony begins to grow, then everything is going to be growing and changing with it. You're going to start seeing more and more frames of comb drawn up. You're going to notice that there's you know more nectar and, and honey being stored. The first inspection or two that you do, you know, you're not going to see a whole lot of bees in there, particularly if it's a package of bees. If a package of bees, you're going to see this diminishing population for a three-week period before things start to really ramp up for them because of the 21-day you know cycle to create new workers. Now, a nucleus colony tends to explode pretty quickly with their population, but you'll start to notice over a few weeks. You know, you're three, four weeks in, you go in to do an inspection, and it's like night and day. You'll go from having a very small, what I would consider to be a small population to a medium to medium large population very, very quickly because these bees are just going to be born and they just, it, it's pretty insane. You open up a colony and you see three or four frames of brood and you're thinking, okay, well, this is pretty cool. There's a lot of, a lot of new bees waiting to be born. And you go back in there a week or two weeks later and all of those have hatched. There's new eggs and larvae and all of them and there are bees everywhere. So it's a great problem to have. But the problem now is that it creates other problems. So as the population of bees increases, it's going to change the way that the bees maintain and regulate temperature. So, you know, bees can fan, and and there are multiple bees you'll see quite often, particularly when it's warmer out, bees by the entrance, and they're fanning and moving air in. And they'll do this, you know, throughout the colony in different spaces to keep the air flow, you know, keep things moving. As you increase the population there are more bees in the way of that airflow. So temperature regulation changes. And of course, you know, if it gets really, really hot inside the hive, this is where you'll you'll typically see, you'll look outside of the colony and you'll see bees hanging out the front of it, right? And this is typically referred to as bearding because it really looks like the hive has a, a beard on it. And this is just the bee's way of saying, look, it's, it's too hot inside. I've got to get out here and get some fresh air. So now you're in a situation where really you've got a bunch of bees that are not being productive. They're sitting outside the door because it's too hot inside. Another challenge you can run into, particularly if you are space bound is what we refer to as being honey bound. You have all of these workers that are out bringing in pollen and nectar and they are just going crazy hustling, trying to get everything in place for, you know, feeding new larvae and new brood, and new workers, and, and keeping everything running, and then they look around to try and store what will ultimately become you know capped honey, and they don't have space, right? They have nectar and pollen coming in, and every frame, every cell within every frame is packed. That's a problem. That's a really, really big problem for the colony because they need to keep gathering. They need to keep bringing things in. As the bees get to a point where they realize, as a collective colony, that things can't be done the way they should be, so whether it's temperature regulation, inability to store things in certain places, uh, another problem that can happen is the queen pheromone, right? So if the colony is so large, and you have a whole lot of supers stacked on top of each other, sometimes the queen pheromone doesn't spread through the colony as well as it does in a smaller colony, So sometimes that can actually be interpreted by the colony to mean that that queen needs to be superseded. That maybe, oh, well, her pheromone is not as strong as it used to be. It's time to replace her. So that's another challenge that you can can have as well. But as any of these circumstances or challenges start to present themselves, it starts to create an optimal environment for swarming. So this is where I take you back to what are you doing in your weekly inspections you know, every week, what are you looking for? So let's go back and talk about that for a second. So again, talking about just that single deep hive body, as you are inspecting the frames and the comb, you always want to try and track down the queen. Now I recognize that as a new beekeeper, this is not easy. And, and that's why I tell you, every time you open the hive up, try to find her. And if you have a second set of eyes, it's so helpful. I mean, I, I'll be hundred percent honest with you. I, I'm colorblind. I have a red green color deficiency. I can tell you some funny stories about that back in the army days, but I won't bore you with that right now. But my daughter, my oldest daughter, who first started beekeeping with me, like she was like, she could find the queens so fast. I was just baffled by this because I could hand her a frame and be like, all right, what do you got? And she could just go, boom, there it is. And she was really, really good at it. My youngest daughter now, Phoebe, she's pretty good at it too. But once you start to find them, right, once you have figured out the, the look of a queen, you know, that she's longer than the workers, she's, you know, her wings only go about halfway through her body, right? She has a very, very long abdomen. Once you see her and you know what she looks like and you know what you're looking for, it's much, much easier to find her. I'll do a quick sidebar here. One thing I can tell you when you're holding a frame up, sometimes there are so many bees that are on the frame that you can't even see. You can't even see all the way down to the comb. One trick I use, there's a couple things you can do. One of them is that you can actually just, if you have a non-gloved hand, you can just put your fingers down on them and just gently press down on them. And they'll just walk away. They'll move out of the way, and you can see the comb if you're looking to try and find queen cells or you're looking for eggs or larva. That works really well. But the other thing I do is I just hold the frame up in front of my veil, and I just blow on the frame. Just, you know, just a nice, easy, you know, blowing on the frame. They'll feel the air and they'll move out of the way. It's really cool. I heard this a long time ago and I was like, that's kind of weird. And I do it all the time. It works really great. You don't have to smoke them in this situation. Just blow right through the veil and they'll move out of the way. It's pretty cool. But finding that queen, it's an important skill to have. And it becomes more valuable as the colony gets larger and larger because it's going to become more difficult to find her. Now, like I've mentioned before, just because you didn't find the queen, it's not necessarily the end of the world, but you definitely have to be looking for other signs of queen activity. So you're going to want to look for eggs, larva, capped brood. You know, all of these things are pretty good indicators. Now, we've talked before in a you know, previous episode about you know, what the colony can do to address a situation where the queen is gone or no longer available, and we talked about emergency cells. If you have capped brood, and there's no queen available, and you don't have eggs and larvae, you're in a bind because the colony and the workers can't make a new queen from capped brood. But if you've got eggs or really young larvae, then the colony can create a new queen using an emergency cell if they have to. So that's why it's critically important to at least find eggs and larvae. Now, like I've said in, in the previous episode, you know, an egg just looks like a little small grain of rice inside the cell. Larva looks like a, a letter C. It looks like a little tiny, it's almost like a like a maggot. If you've seen a maggot before, it's almost like a little tiny maggot in the shape of a letter C that'll be down inside of a cell, very close to eggs and in the area of other brood that may be capped or uncapped. If you if you haven't seen it before, you don't know what it looks like, just hit YouTube. Or go to Google. You know, just do a search for pictures of uh, honeybee larva, honeybee eggs, and there's a lot of options there that you can look at to uh, to get an idea of what uh, what that should look like. Now, another thing to mention too is you know, we talked about capped brood. Capped brood is generally flush with the frame, so you could take your hand and just lightly go across the whole frame, but you don't. You can just visually see that it's nice and flush. If you look towards the edges of the frames, and you'll see what looks kind of like capped brood but it's kind of larger the the cells look larger and they're they're kind of deeper and they're puffing out the drawn comb a little bit more that's going to be drone brood and you can search for that the images are available online but it's nothing wrong with that perfectly normal you know you'll it's not unusual to see you know maybe five ten percent on the high end of a frame would be drone brood perfectly normal but those are the things that you want to see every time that you're looking in a frame, every time that you're doing your inspections. Now we're going to add in a new layer of complexity, and this is critically important at this time of year. Now we need to start looking for queen cells or swarm cells. The best description I have is it looks like a peanut shell. And when I say that, you're, you know, you can kind of visualize. I always I always envisioned like the planner's peanut guy with the little like monocle or whatever, I don't, I don't know what he has, but that's what I always see. It's not quite like that, but it it does look like a peanut. So once you've seen them again, you can find the image online. But if you see it once, you'll it's locked in your mind. You know exactly what it looks like. You'll never have trouble finding it again. Now they tend to be in the lower third of the frame. Sometimes it can be. I've actually had them off of the bottom of a frame once when when they did one in a upper, in the top of a two brood chamber setup. I actually had one that came down off the frame. But what I usually do a lot of is I'll use nucleus colonies for a lot of my queen breeding and things that I'll do. And you can just lift up the nucleus colony and look underneath. And you can actually see some of the cells in there. That's just kind of one thing you do at a quick glance if you want to take a peek and see without having to remove every frame. But in a more traditional, you know, 10 frame kind of approach, when you pull that frame out, Check the whole frame, but in general, it's that lower third on either side that you need to be looking for those queen cells. Now, remember, it's going to start out as a queen cup, and then the queen will lay an egg in it, and then it'll be- become a queen larva, and then it'll grow. They'll, they'll enlarge the queen cell, and then they'll cap it. Now, that whole cycle is about a 16-day cycle. If you see a queen cup, and you look into the, into the cell, and you see there's an egg in there, you know that this colony is getting ready to swarm that's already on their mind, but you still have a little bit of time. What I tell people is as soon as you see that you have a capped queen cell, it's, it's almost too late because let's say for example, that they capped the queen cell in the middle of the week. Let's say it was on, on a Wednesday and you open up your colony on Sunday. So you're inside the hive and it's been five days since it was capped, I mean, you're within a couple of days of the new queen emerging, and they're usually going to exit in advance of that queen, right? They're going to go ahead and swarm and leave, and then the new queen will be born into the colony. So if you see that queen cell, you that's, in my opinion, that's when you stop and say, okay, we need a plan of attack. Now, what I do when I'm doing these inspections is I will go through And a lot of times I'll have a Sharpie with me or, you know, I I do goofy things sometimes. I just will grab whatever I have laying around, you know, on this little bag that I carry around with me. If I don't have that for some reason, I will pick something up off the ground or a stone or whatever I have to do to scratch something into the frame to mark it or whatever. But in general, I recommend just have a Sharpie. And if you find a queen cell, I will put like either an X or an arrow on the frame. So I'll pull the frame out, look at it. One queen cell, one side. I'll just put like an X and an arrow pointing to the side where I found the queen cell. And then you have to find them all. And that's critically important because let's say that there are four of them on the frame. You find three of them. You've located your queen, right? This is again, where it's really important too, because if you have capped queen cells, Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So let's run through a couple of, of scenarios on your spring inspections here. This, I think this might break things down a little bit better. So we'll do three scenarios. Scenario one, you open up the colony. Everything looks good. You can see a queen, eggs, larvae, capped brood, stored nectar, maybe a little bit of capped honey. Bees are using up about 50% of the capacity within the hive body. You don't see any queen cells, no queen cups that have eggs in them or larvae in them. You know, queen larvae, that's a win, right? Everything's looking good. You're probably good to go till next week. I, you know, in that situation, I don't see any reason why that colony shouldn't be good for another, you know, week, 10 days, two weeks even. Scenario two, everything's exactly the same as, as what I just mentioned but instead of being at about 50% capacity, it's more like 70 or 80% capacity. In this case, you're going to need to give them some more space. Because remember what I said before, once those new bees emerge, those new workers, that population is going to explode. And it's going to just continue to grow really rapidly at this time of year. So you're going to want to give them some more space. So the best way to do this and the simplest way to do this, and it doesn't matter what you're using. So if you're using a 10-frame deep, then add another 10-frame deep with wax foundation, let them go to work. I do recommend if you're going to use drawn comb to only use a frame or two of drawn comb because as the workers move up and start to expand into that additional space, they can manage those one or two frames of drawn comb. If the entire hive by that you drop on is drawn comb and they don't need it and they're not using it, quite often that's where your wax moths will get in there and they'll they'll start laying their eggs into those spaces of drawn comb and then it gets to be pretty disastrous. So just put one, maybe two frames of drawn comb in there to start it off. They'll draw up as much as they need and if they need the space, they will do it very quickly. So don't, don't worry too much about that. But it would be the same story if you're using a four or five frame nuke or you're using eight frame hardware. It doesn't matter. You just Expand, double it, give them more capacity. The third scenario, so in this case, you're at ninety hundred percent capacity. You found three swarm cells; they're all capped. You know, and, and technically, if you've been doing your weekly inspections, you should not be finding a capped queen cell for the first time on this inspection. I mean, at least it shouldn't be the first time you've seen it. You may have seen a queen cup, you may have seen uh, an egg in there or queen larvae in there, you know, on a previous week's inspections, But you don't go from nothing to capped queen cell in a week. Again, it's possible that you can miss them, right? I've done inspections, particularly in my first couple of years where I didn't really know what I was doing. And I did exactly that. I went from nothing I could recognize as being out of the ordinary to here's a queen cell and they swarmed and it's all over. So don't, don't beat yourself up, right? You do the best you can. You learn as you go. And, you know, hopefully you'll find them. But the good news is even if you do find, let's say you found these three swarm cells. They're all capped and you're thinking, oh my God, you know, things are about to get real here. You have some options. I'm going to run you through three options real quick about, about what you can do here. Option one, don't do anything at all. Just let the colony swarm. I'm just going to go, you know, state the obvious here. It's a bad idea. There's a lot of reasons why this is a bad idea. Let's just say that in the spring, your new colony has 30,000 honeybees and they are packing away honey and reserves for the upcoming winter or even the summer dearth. Things are going great. And all of a sudden, half of them say bye and they take off. So you have lost 50% of your workforce. You now have a new colony, right? The swarming colony that has been created now has to go out, find a space and do everything. So now let's just say as an example, it's early May. My very productive colonies are doing great right now. They're doing exceptionally well. But they've been doing this now for a month, month and a half. There's only another month or so left in the real, you know, nectar flow here. And it's done. That's it. You have this colony that is going to this new colony that's leaving and literally has nothing. So they're going to go find a hole in a tree or a space and they're going to start drawing up comb and that queen's going to start laying eggs. And right around the time that they are beginning to ramp up this new colony, the nectar flow goes away. So what do you do, right? I mean, that colony, in my opinion, where I am in Virginia, that colony is doomed. They are not going to be successful because they have nothing. If they were all still together in the original colony, they would be fine. They've got plenty of stored reserves. They've got everything they need to you know, continue on through the summer. They'll have a good population and workforce that can get things done. But this new colony starting all over out in the middle of nowhere with no resources, they're doomed. So I'm going to go again and say option one, pretty much a bad idea. Option two. We can give more space, like I mentioned previously. We go ahead and and add an additional hive body. I think no matter what, you're going to be okay adding space, right? Because it's not uncommon for a really, really strong productive colony to even swarm more than once in a season. So if you made a mistake, you messed up, whatever happened, just add the space no matter what. So you've given them more space. You've addressed a portion of the problem. But again, you want to go find that queen. This is really, really important for what you're about to do. So you go in, you find that queen. Whatever you have to do, you got to find her. Now, if you don't find her, it makes what I'm about to suggest very difficult, but I've got a way to even mitigate that we can talk about. But let's just say that everything's great, everything goes well, and you find the queen. Now you have these other queen cells. In this option, we're going to destroy the other queen cells. You have to get every single one of them. If you leave one single one behind, then they will still swarm. Remove all the queen cells and keep your queen there and hope that they're not so far down the path that they go ahead and swarm anyway. Now, there's another way that you can kind of go kind of built into this option too. What you could do if you really wanted to be safe, you could go ahead and take your existing queen out and go ahead and split the colony at that point. Just take her out just to be safe because you know she's getting ready to leave anyway. Take her out and take you know, a frame or two of brood, a frame or two of honey, put her into a nuke. And ideally, you want to you know, put her somewhere else so that any bees that, are, that you're putting with her that may potentially be foragers don't go back to the old hive. But either way, you can still take her and a frame of bees that are on brood that are primarily nurse bees and haven't left the hive anyway. You can take them... And start a new colony with that queen. And then that way you've now removed the queen. For all intents and purposes, you've created a swarm, but you've given her some resources. She has a couple frames of brood, a couple frames of food, and you've left three queen cells behind. That's one way that you can kind of work things if you've you know, if you've found the queen, but you're really concerned, like, man, they look they're probably getting ready to swarm. Now going into the third option, which is kind of a little bit of what I was just talking about is basically doing exactly that, creating a bunch of splits from what you have there. So you can track down those individual queen cells. And again, this can be tricky sometimes too. Sometimes they are on the frame in a position where it's difficult to get it either removed or you may have, let's say, example, a frame where there's two on one side and one on the other. right? So all three of them are on a single frame. In this case, you may, depending on what kind of foundation you're using you may be a little bit stuck. Like if you're using all wax foundation, you can get like a fillet knife or something that has a, a real fine razor or a blade, something that has a, you know, probably about a three inch blade at least. You can just cut through the comb and take the entire section out with that queen cell, stick it onto another frame, you know, of like just piece of foundation. You can just stick it on there, stick it into another colony. Or if you have a section of comb that's not drawn out on a frame that's in another colony, that you're splitting from, you can just put it inside there with that. That queen can emerge and you can go on, on about your business with that. Or you can if you have foundation like I use the plastic foundation right cell, I think it's called maybe I don't know. But I can't cut through that because it's a solid plastic foundation. But I have been able if it's if the comb is drawn up slightly, I have been able to get behind them. You really gotta be careful. You don't want to tear the queen cell open so a lot of times i recommend if you can do the frame itself that's perfect so let's say for example you have queen cells on two different frames you just take an entire frame out put that into a new colony with you know another frame of brood if possible a frame of honey two frames of honey maybe depending on how your setup is and that's a great way to mitigate this swarm risk and and again like i mentioned before though sometimes getting that queen out and putting her into a different colony is a little bit better than leaving her behind. Because, you know, once that impetus to swarm kind of kicks in, they may go ahead and leave anyway. So just take her out, put her in another colony, and you can kind of keep on trucking. Now, I, I'm going to give you an example. I have a good friend of mine out in Nebraska. He loves, he has Flow Hive, right? So he doesn't do honey extraction. He just puts his hive bodies on. He puts his Flow Hive honey super on there. And like twice a year, he cracks it open and gets honey. And he and his wife love it but they don't want to have an apiary, right? They don't want to have fifteen, twenty hives that they're managing. So last year he had a swarm. So he was like, hey, what do I do? So I kind of talked him through it. He captured the swarm. Everything was great. And then the main colony swarmed again. And I said, well, yeah, just go ahead and make another. He's like, I don't want another colony. So you might be in the same situation, right? You're just, you're a hobbyist. You enjoy watching the bees. You enjoy seeing what they're doing and how they're doing it, but you don't necessarily want to, make apiculture a full-time job, right? I completely get it. I understand. This is a great opportunity, though, to either call a friend or if you know somebody who's interested in beekeeping and say, hey, listen, I've got this colony. It's about to swarm. I've got a chance to make another colony from them. Are you interested? If they are, great. You can, you know, maybe you can even sell it if you wanted to. But I, I would recommend, since you're probably in your, you know, rookie season or maybe your second year, Give it to somebody versus selling it to them. That way they don't feel like they're getting ripped off if something doesn't go right or whatever. But, you know, you can give it to a friend. You might even call if you're part of a bee club, which I have been a big advocate of since the beginning of the podcast. So I'm not going to bore you with that. But call somebody in the bee club and say, hey, listen, I've got this swarm I think is going to happen here. There's three queen cells. I'm going to go ahead and split the colony up. I really don't want to manage another one. Would anybody like to start their own nuke? And I'm sure there's going to be somebody who's going to jump up and be like, oh my God, I'd love to take that. Absolutely. Or even somebody in the club who might say, hey, let me help you get that queen cell out of there and you can keep everything else. Because they may have a great population of bees in one of their other colonies that they just want to drop into another nuke with your queen cell. right? So there's a lot of different ways you can do things. I definitely recommend communicating with people in your bee club or friends you have that are keeping bees so that you can, you know, find creative ways to not have those queen cells go to waste. I mean, you have a very valuable resource there in, in a queen. So I feel like I was a little bit, I kind of, there's so many ideas and thoughts that came in my mind. I think I jumped around a little bit, so I apologize if I, if I confuse anybody with anything here. But the kind of key takeaway with everything today is the scenarios that create optimal swarm conditions are really relating to you know space, temperature, and overall just general stress. I think the one example that I would give about this is, is imagine being in, let's just say you go to a quote-unquote a party or a get-together, and you're in a 20-foot by 20-foot room, and then there's a hallway to a bathroom, as an example. If you have four or five people there, and they're hanging out, and there's chips and dip and drinks or whatever you're doing, everybody's chit-chatting, everything's fine, you know, you can have a good time. Four or five people, no big deal. You know, Another five or six people show up. It gets a little bit louder. But, you know, there's still enough food for everybody. And you don't have to wait in line for the bathroom or anything. And, you know, it's still good. Well, then 100 people show up. So people come in the door and they've got their soda and their beer and their wine and their chips and dip and pigs in a blanket and all this stuff. Now you've got a line for the bathroom. You've got line at the refrigerator because nobody's got a place to put anything. It's so loud because everybody's talking. It's hot in there because the air conditioner can't keep up with all the people. That's like literally what's happening inside of your colony. It's crowded. It's, I don't want to say noisy, but for their purposes, it's noisy, right? It's crowded. It's hot. It's noisy. There's nowhere to put anything. They get stressed out and they want to swarm. I know we've covered, you know, again, a lot of information here. i just, I'm trying to get it out there because this is a really, really critical time. I've already... Procrastinated a little bit in one of my inspections here. I had a colony swarm. I caught a swarm the other day. I prevented one in another colony and made some splits off some queen cells. I am behind right now. I should probably not be podcasting right now. I should actually be outside working on getting some hives and some colonies taken care of because I'm a little bit behind there as well. But I hope this is useful. And like I said, it's critically important to me to get this information out now because we are kind of in that peak of swarm season. If you have any questions at all, feel free to, you know, drop me an email, jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Always happy to lend a hand or give you my my two cents. And one last thing I did forget, apiary updates. I think if you remember, I had a large pile of debris from kind of clearing the land out, getting everything ready down there. One of the challenges I have is uh, I've got a bear and I can't relocate my colonies until I get a bear fence up. I can't put the bear fence up until I get this pile of debris burned away. I can't burn the debris because it's not raining at all. It's been so dry for so long that it's not safe to burn that much debris. So I'm going to start probably this coming week and just making like a little campfire essentially. And I'm going to cut all of the stuff down into smaller pieces and just burn it very slowly as I'm working and doing other things on the property. So I got a driveway cut this week. I fired up my sawmill and I've started milling some lumber in preparation to make some pole barns and different things and places to store equipment. So that's coming along. Super, super busy. I do retire from my full-time job. I say retire because I mean, I'm not in technology anymore, but I am still working, but I'm retiring from technology and I'm full-time beekeeping starting this Friday is my last day of work. So that's all exciting. Lots of stuff going on at the apiary. And lastly, the pollination work we have going on in North Carolina this year on watermelon. Still working through some logistics on that. Got a lot of hive bodies to assemble and some painting to do. So it's going to be a busy next couple of weeks. But that's the latest and greatest on me and the apiary and what's going on with us here. So thank you again for tuning in. Like I said, before you have any questions, shoot me an email. And we'll look forward to catching up with you here on part two. of. I'm going to go into you know, different types of hive configurations and kind of some pros and cons to different approaches. And uh, hopefully that will help you make a decision as to how you want to expand and grow and and make room to accommodate, you know, your your growing colonies so that they don't swarm and also kind of giving you a path forward for, you know, how you're going to manage things. If you're only going to keep one or two colonies, most of it may not be, you know, a, a big deal. But if you'd like to grow maybe eight, 10, 20, then you know, having a couple of different types of configurations might make sense. So we'll cover all of that on the next episode as well. And you folks enjoy the rest of the weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.